becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger and a rather crowded is a dream that you want to all right so before we started man i did 100 push-ups we should have <laughs> <Hell no. laughs> hey cheers cheers to the shores to the shores 100 times episode 100 did we say this is the 100th episode i think <laughs> i think we did we did that's pretty crazy that's worth uh that's worth like a second cheers actually oh, totally. yeah agree. cheers to 100 man um, quick thank you to everybody who's been listening for a hundred episodes. If yeah. you, if there are such people, <laughs> <laughs> totally like all of our fans and listen to all of our shows. It's pretty crazy, uh, to think that we set out two years ago with a goal mm-hmm. to do this once a week. And here we are a hundred weeks later and we've done it. Yeah. Um, that's worth celebrating. And I was thinking about the idea of success and how, because that's a success. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's an accomplishment. Um, and it might be easy to sort of look at that and say, well, yeah, but y'all don't have that many listeners or that many (laughs) Instagram followers or whatever, you know, it's not really a success, but Uh, I was thinking about how we, how we define success. Do you, do you think about it in terms of like listen counts or likes or followers or, revenue or, you know, how do you set up your, your goal or your idea of success? Yeah, that's a really great question. Well, again, I think with the, with what we've done with the shores of ignorance is, is really something you and I just wanted to do. Right. And it hasn't really, um, you know, also I think we wanted to, there were certain things we wanted to develop too. As we started doing it, we were seeing that, uh, how we when we when we got onto the podcast, there are certain things that are brought out in our conversation that wouldn't come out with just you and I talking mm-hmm. ourselves, you right. know. And that's something that we kind of learned and grew in over the last hundred episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like drink every time you hear can us you, say hundred. <laughs> can you imagine? Right? Can you like Joe Rogan? Does he have thousands? Oh yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. He's over two thousand, maybe three. Well, I just think there's something to be said for. And I don't say this in like a congratulatory way, but more of a a self-reminder that the power of disciplined consistency is one of the greatest powers um, known to man. I don't know. (laughs) There's a great um, observation that I, I, you know, uh, heard or read somewhere that... it's like in the early two thousands and it was pretty common because this was like pre Spotify Mm -hmm. for musicians to seemingly sort of come out of nowhere and be famous overnight. And this person was making the case that like, that's almost never ever true. Hmm. Like it seems that way to you because you're just now, you know, uh, paying attention to it. Yeah. But most bands who get big or artists who get big have spent the previous 10 years just absolutely grinding. Mm hmm. Um, so if there's anything that you're working on and you're looking at the metrics, let's say the, you know, the likes, the followers, the revenue, whatever, and it's not, it's not looking good and you give up, well, then that's over. Mm -hmm. But if you don't give up, 
eventually something will come of that. Yeah. And I just, you know, I don't know what comes of this podcast. I don't really care all that much as, as far as like it becoming a big thing. Um, you know, I feel like it's paying you and I dividends personally already. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to look back at that milestone and say, yeah, we've, we, we said, this is what we want to do and we've done it. And there's a lot of things that we haven't done well that mm-hmm. we wanted to do, but it's like, we met that goal yeah. of just doing it and, um, yeah, well, I'll be self-congratulatory. Congrats <laughs> to us. Cheers again. 100. <laughs> yeah. Drink. <laughs> so it would have been cool if we like had a plan for the 100th episode and did some really cool stuff, but <laughs> totally. we didn't do that. No. Mm. So we're just going to get into some stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to get into. Always. Yeah. Even when we don't even think we have anything, it always, something comes out. So. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <clears throat> what do you have anything you want to jump into? Um, well, I mean, something that you read uh, a little bit earlier tonight, we were just kind of going over some, our thoughts and we're kind of working through. It's like, like, uh, I think the idea of like, like what could you be? Like, what is the, what is the, the highest possibility that you could, imagine for yourself and like even like what does what does that mean you know there's one part that i'm, I'm 44 years old and you know I, i'm obviously midway through my life unless i die tomorrow or something like that <laughs> or yeah. the next day yeah. <laughs> but i plan on being around and you know at least another 44 more years mm-hmm. right? hopefully that'd be cool mm-hmm. um so i think that i think it also changes it changes uh, as you get older. Like what, what did that is? What is that possibility that you could be? You know, I think uh, some of that has narrowed for me as far as my age goes, mm-hmm. but then at the same time it has given a lot more, I probably see more possibilities now than I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, it would, the possibilities were a lot more uh, opaque or cloudy or, um, It didn't, it didn't have as much meat to them or, or shape to them. It's like now that I, now that I'm older, uh, I have kids. And so there's the possibility of being a grandfather in the future. You know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, professional goals, uh, family goals. There's a lot of things that I feel like are, are possibilities that are just going to grow even more as I, as I get older, you know, mm-hmm. even though it seems to somewhat narrow, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe la- more laser focus. Well, here's some thoughts that I'll <clears throat> try to put yeah. out on the table and see yeah. if you can make any sense of. I, um, and I think it has something to do with the propositional and invitational nature of potential. Hmm. And <laughs> Now, every time I, yeah, every every time I say something like that, I think about that word uh, conspiritualist. (laughs) Um, and, (laughs) um, and really lead us into a conversation about faith. Um, and I'll, I'll try to attach this to an, an example. And the easiest example is, um, like a, a brand new romantic relationship. Hmm. And I don't, and I want to slip in a little bit of, uh, objectivity versus 
subjectivity and is there such thing as subjective reality? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like little prefaces on this. I know. <laughs> um, what are we doing? This is, <laughs> I sound ridiculous. I'm excited to see where you go. With uh, this. Yeah. Are you? Okay. All right. Be, be ridiculous. Right. All okay. Good. All right. So it's our hundredth episode. <laughs> so you meet a new person, let's say, and you like them. Mm-hmm. What is that? You don't know what that is because you don't know the person. Mm-hmm. You're responding to something. Um, so you're not really responding to anything exactly objective. And that feeling, it's like, what is that feeling of liking someone? The feeling of a crush, let's say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's <clears throat> almost completely uh, future-oriented. Like thinking about that person and the things that you might do with them, Hmm. but you don't know the person. So you don't know if they'd like to do those things. Mm -hmm. So then you think about how how could I find that out? And you come up with, it's like, it becomes this sort of inspired creative process. You start creating something Hmm. and, um, and then you, let's say you ask this person out on a date and they say, yes, you're excited. And it's like, how do you behave around that person? How do you, How do you act with them? You don't exactly behave. You clearly don't behave with them the way that you would behave to one of your friends or a family member. You treat them differently. How is it that you're treating them? It doesn't really, it's not attached objectively to who they are. Yeah. You're operating inside of a construct that looks a lot more like hope. Like you're thinking, I've had this, you know, these butterflies or whatever, this, this inspired creative response to you. And I don't know why. And I want to find out. Mm -hmm. And you in small sort of almost like concentric circles, you cast out this hope, like, might you be like this? Might we be like this together? And you, you sort of behave in small, hopefully measured ways, treating that person as if they were a person you were in a relationship with, mm-hmm. you know, you start, you treat them as if they're your girlfriend or as if they're your boyfriend, not too much. Cause that would be super creepy. Right. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you have to do it a little bit. Otherwise it's not moving into anything. So, mm. so you cast out some idea of hope of what things might be, what you'd like them to be. And then you behave as if they are that way, even though they aren't yet. Okay. And, that's why I said at the beginning that it's, it's a propositional thing. It's not objective. You aren't responding simply to what is mm-hmm. you are proposing a future and inviting someone into that future. Hmm. And the person who enters that future, you know, whether it's just a date or, you know, to or, uh, all the way up to a marriage or something, um, isn't exactly the person that, that was hanging out before you came around. Mm-hmm. There's something new created in that person. True. Um, and all of that is, is this idea of what is the potential, which is kind of where, where you kicked us off. Mm-hmm. What could things be? Yeah. Well, that's interesting that, that, that the sort of the beginning part of it, cause like there's a, there's a certain, of exci- there's sort of certain excitement there and, potential 
And I don't know if I want to jump to. It's like I kind of want to jump ahead and then come back because I, I there's things there's a lot of things to explore in the in that sort of like <clears throat> almost naive potential. You know, it's there's not anything that there's no real defining borders. You know, you're not you're not dealing with sickness or death or uh, paying the bills. You know, there's there's these things that kind of come in and seem to sort of. Uh, I guess put borders around that potential or mm-hmm. potential borders <laughs> to, to the potential. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like you, you kind of jump ahead a little bit, then kind of come back is that, you know, as you develop in a relationship, you start to find where those borders and boundaries are. Right. It's, it's like, there's this creative endeavor at the beginning where you try to find, you're almost trying to find where those borders are. Mm-hmm. And then once you come against those borders, and you, f- you feel pushback, it's like, that's almost kind of like where the relationship really starts is when you start to find the, the limits of that potential. Yeah. And that's when there, I think that's when a relationship, it seems like that's when a relationship really starts to grow is once you start pushing into those boundaries, those, well, those assuming borders. that it doesn't fall apart mm-hmm. by, by nature of the fact that you hit some border because that mm. can be a, a sort of violent and damaging process. Mm. I mean, I think it's this way, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or whatever, yeah. you start off with someone new in some sort of conversation or some scenario and it's quite precarious. Mm-hmm. You see, you don't, it's like they could be anyone. You could be anyone. Yeah. You know, who are you? What do you think about these things? And you, you could have hated people with last names with V's. You know, yeah. Like, no, that's that's a that's a, that's a quitter right there. <laughs> that's a weird a weird bigotry. <laughs> um, yeah, but so it's all precarious, and so this is why you generally start with some sort of like small talk. Mm-hmm. It's partly because you don't know what to talk about mm-hmm. because you don't know the person, and partly because you have to establish some sort of structure, some scaffolding from which you can then begin to build some foundation, which becomes strong enough that you can start to explore more potentially dangerous or damaging ideas. Mm. Um, and so you hit one potential, like, uh, uh, what did you call it? Boundary mm-hmm. or, or wall or something like, and you, you, you feel it together and you're, and then you, you acknowledge that and you kind of make this decision. Like, do we push on that? Do we see how hard that is? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not yet. Like whatever we're building here isn't quite strong enough to sustain the potential damage of really pushing on that wall. Yeah. That topic or, you know, it's like <laughs> you don't dive into like childhood trauma on <laughs> the first date. Probably. <laughs> probably shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then as you sort of find some of these unexpected walls and boundaries and you look around your relationship that you're building with this person and you're like, okay, we've got some space here. We can kind of move. I could test some things. Um, that wall that we hit a while back, let's, let's check that out. What's going on with that. Um, can we sustain really pushing on that? Mm -hmm. It definitely seems like there's some like, like there's some, there's some boundaries that are, are, are fairly hard and set, you know, for the most part. Right, um, and then so the, like you, so you can't really like that's that's sort of 
where maybe you draw the line. You know, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of what boundaries I have. <laughs> I mean, besides like, you know, being married and having kids and outside of that, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, like those would set up boundaries for you in relationships with other people. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like if, if you want to have a romantic relationship with me, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, no, probably. I think Sorry. it should be a little bit more. It's, it's, it was more facetious. <laughs> right. Uh, it's not a good idea. You right. know, and, and like I'm at a stage of life where it's like, I'm not, you know, kids for me, more kids for me would not be a thing either. You know, it's like, um, you know, uh, golly, outside of that, I really don't have a lot of boundaries. I don't think, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess one thing is, it's like, I'm not really into drama or small talk, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. I mean, small talk's good to, to a certain degree, but specifically drama, we'll go with that one. It's like, I don't really want to participate in useless drama. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of a boundary for me. It's like, if someone's like always drama oriented, it's mm-hmm. sort of like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have time for that. Yeah. So I think that's, I I can see that in relationships. Well, I think it's hard to imagine generalized boundaries because Mm -hmm. they're not generalized. They're really specific. Mm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that they're specific. They are, they are contextualized to specific people and scenarios. Mm. Like I'm going to have much different boundaries in my (laughs) relationships at work than I'm going to have in my relationship (laughs) with your children, let's say. Mm. Or, you know, with my friends at the bar. True. <clears throat> and even then it's going to be tailored, uh, you know, sort of to, to each individual. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, cause like a little bit of drama is kind of, you know, it can be kind of fun, but mm-hmm. there's, there's a, there's a point where I kind of, again, it's a boundary somewhere in there. There's a boundary of like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so through this process, you're responding to some potential, mm-hmm. some hope of the way things could be. Yeah. And then inviting each other into that via relationship, via conversation. Mm-hmm. And that relationship and conversation is both simultaneously constructive and has the potential to be destructive as well in both good and bad ways. And if you imagine that out iteratively, so whether you take the example of a romantic relationship, you might say, well, ideally if I iterate that game and it goes as well as I want it to go, then maybe I end up married mm-hmm. and we die in each other's arms or something like that. Yeah. You can do the same thing for yourself personally. It's like, <clears throat> you know that you feel inside intrinsically that you are somehow more than you are mm-hmm. capable of more, um, stronger, wiser, more loving, kinder, you know, hopefully that's the more that you imagine for yourself, (laughs) something like that. Yeah. And then through these relationships, you, 
well, you become that. Hmm. And if you imagine that iteratively out far enough, it's like, what is it that you are finally at the end? Well, it's interesting too, like in a relationship, like you have to allow, I think the, the, when you talk about like having boundaries and borders that you start to push against, um, I feel like there's, there's, there's an aspect that you always have to allow somebody to surprise you. You know, and, mm-hmm. and 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 not put people in a box because I think that's a, that's kind of like more of the the uh, the negative aspect of of the boundary aspect is once you start kind of hitting those boundaries, then you sort of like start to enclose them in on somebody and sort of put them in that box of like what those things are that you've observed about them or uh, that you think are <clears throat> maybe boundaries or borders that you imagine are there that are not actually there. So I think there's, there's always a part that you have to hold sort of lightly in how you understand what those boundaries are. Like, um, I, I think specifically in marriage too, cause after, you know, I also have been married, uh, 20 years almost this summer. And, you know, there's a part, there's a part that I know her really, really well, but then also there's a part that I don't know her at all. And I think there's that, there's that space I have to allow that to both exist at the same time. It's like, I know her well and int- intimately, but at the same time, there's things I still don't know what, about her after 20 years. When it's so interesting that you can make a statement like that, like I know her well, but I also don't know her at all. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense to me, but it's a, it's a nonsensical statement. Mm-hmm. You, you can't know someone and not know them at all. Yeah. But I think what you're, what you're indicating there is that, there are things that you don't know and the number of things and the depth of those things you mm-hmm. also don't know. So you're dealing with essentially like an infinity of unknowns. So you can say rightly in a, and it makes sense to me. I don't know her at all. Well, it's almost a truism. It's like, is that there are more things you don't know about somebody than what you know, even somebody you've known for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that's also discovered in relationship. Even that person doesn't even know those things about themselves. Right. And I think if you, there's an aspect of giving people the freedom to be more than what they are, what they even understand they are, and even what you understand they are, opens up that possibility for the other person. When I think that's the process by which you become whatever your own personal potential is, mm-hmm. you learn yourself through interacting with other people. Yeah. Like, you know, I think we ask ourselves this question when we're growing up, um, you know, maybe like starting at puberty and through um, junior high and high school, it's like you, you constantly are kind of wondering like, what am I like? Mm-hmm. What kind of person am I? What, yeah. what things do I like? What kind of people do I like to hang out with? Mm-hmm. And you sort of figure that out by trying it out. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I like to do this. Let's try it. That sucked. I hated soccer. I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> do you think like in that age, it's more about what you're not about than what you are about? Yeah, it's probably, I don't, it's more probably not until you mature more that you're able to yeah, mm-hmm. say in the affirmative, this is how I am mm-hmm. because you don't know how you are. Mm-hmm. You're discovering. So it's, yeah, I think you're right. It's much easier to say what you don't like than it is to say what you do. 
I'm more thinking about our teenagers right now. It's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, I think I hear more about like, uh, what, what's not good or what's not okay or what's not, you know, not cool or whatever. And rather than like what is good or cool or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it does seem like there's something that, I don't know, maybe it does come more in the negative well, I again think there's something that's it's easier to be against something than it is to be for something. And I think that's something that I feel like I've seen over the years, like like I'm against abortion or I'm against this or I'm against Trump or I'm against Biden or I'm against, you know, but but what are you for? Cuz I think if you start say, thinking about what you are for, then sometimes I would believe in ways that you would start to see things in people that change and that you might not be as different as other people are, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess if you, if you imagine the future as, as propositional, Mm-hmm. Where you imagine a relationship or even yourself as propositional. It's like, I propose that we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. If that's all constituted and defined by what it's not, then you don't really know what it is that you're doing. Yeah. You need to know that you're for something, mm-hmm. which I think is why, you know, this sort of like, very traditional idea of courtship mm-hmm. is also very attractive. Hmm. How so? Well, because <clears throat> the traditional idea, I don't, I mean, specifically the, hi, I like you. Here's what I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. And that might be as simple as like, um, I'd like, I'd like to have dinner with you. Or it might be, you know, more than that. Mm-hmm. I, I like you. I'd like to have dinner with you with the intention of dating you with the intention of marrying you. And that's a lot, right? Cause you don't know that person, Yeah. but it's, it defines a direction and it's like, do you want to come with me this way? Mm. And it's, and, and, and I'm inviting you to, I'm not saying we'll make it the whole way, but this is what I'd like to see happen. Yeah. You know, do you want to come along? Mm-hmm. And then that person says, you know, yes or no. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, <clears throat> and maybe this is where it transitions to a conversation about faith, because I think, I think that the proposition that you're making is, I think that this would be good. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do these things in this direction. And I think that would be a good thing. Do you want to come? Yes. That answer is an answer of faith. It's to say yes to an invitation to the good whatever that good may be. And you don't exactly know what it is. <clears throat> and that's why it takes faith. But why is direction is so important in this? <clears throat> Cause when you're, when you're saying this, it's like, I, I get this impression that you can just play these games that don't necessarily have direction. Sure. And so at some point, not, maybe, maybe a game is too, too arbitrary, but it seems like at some point there has to be some sort of direction in relationship or 
in life in general. You know, you, you like you you pick something, you aim at it, and you you go for that. It's mm-hmm. like uh, it seems like if you don't pick something <clears throat> and aim for it, then it's sort of like uh, it's sort of meaningless. There's nothing. like almost like a status quo or like a sort of you just sort of uh, peter out or something like that. So I mean, I guess that's my question is like, why is it seems like direction seems to be very important in. Well, I don't know whether to answer that specifically or, or generally, I think direction directionality is, it's like a part of the way that reality lays itself out. Hmm. I mean, we are moving forward in time, for example, like you don't really like we're directional creatures. True. We're moving forward in time. We're moving from birth to death towards something that we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. From birth to death. And then within that, you know, in, in this like smaller and smaller, excuse me, time scales, um, your, your life consists of setting up something that you want and then moving toward it. That takes direction. But also it's like it takes some understanding of like, what do you want? Cause there's, there's also like a, again, after, right. you know, I mean, I, again, somebody who's maybe 50 or 60, like I was talking to some guys this weekend, some guys, my, uh, what do you call them? my uncles? I guess my, Step uncles? No, no. They're Allison's uncles. Allison's right? uncles. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> what would they? Second uncles? <clears throat> second uncles? I don't know. I don't know. But like one was <clears throat> in his 50s and the other was uh, in his 60s. And again, it's like one of those things like when you're in your 50s or 60s, you'll understand this. I'm in my 40s. I'm like, well, I understand this. It's like, but I also acknowledge it's like, no, there's something about time and and reference points that gives you a different perspective as you look back. And so I don't see the same, I don't see things the same way that they see those, the way they see them. (coughs) And I think I've had enough years to acknowledge that I don't see that. And I, there's something about time that does play into how you perceive where you fit in and and those sort of goals and, and how you orient yourself. Um, Where when you're younger, I think there's a lot more, uh, a lot more possibilities that are, that are potentially available to you. But as you get older, you start to, you start to be able to have, I think a perspective on where that, like what maybe you give yourself to. I think I kind of got off off the topic of where, where you were going, but, um, well, even just then, that idea of where, where are you going? <laughs> totally. you know? and, uh, and it's something yeah. that, you know, it's commonly said in mm-hmm. relationships too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, where do you see this going? Yeah. Like we're constantly moving mm-hmm. towards something, whether that's through time or physically through space or, <clears throat> you know, maturing into something. It's like, it's like the, the great blessing and curse of, being conscious mm-hmm. is the awareness that that awareness of you're constantly moving towards something and you don't know what it is. Yeah. What are you going to do today? Mm-hmm. What's on the agenda? What's, mm-hmm. Yeah. And to what end? To what end? Yeah. And you know, it just seems to me like 
the higher <clears throat> that ideal, mm-hmm. the higher the higher you cast the vision, the further out into the future you cast the vision, the more meaning you seem to experience in your life. Hmm. And you could even maybe say success, but back to the idea of what is success. Hmm. Success is... <clears throat> Success is reality has unfolded according to some degree, at least according to the plan that we laid out. We've succeeded. Yeah, it's sort of the gauge on what you measure, you know, as far as it's like you need something to sort of measure yourself against. And that is sort of when you project into the future, it's like you're measuring yourself to that future self and that then that gives you feedback on whether you are sort of accomplishing that or moving towards that. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that that, it's not that that future potential or yourself um, is what you will end up as, or it will actually change, but you need something that you project into the future that you can measure yourself against. Mm -hmm. It seems like we do need something to measure our, 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 our growth, our potential. I think that's what probably even but potential is, is you, you identify something that is more than what you are. And that, and that is what you measure yourself by. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have something that is more than what you are now, then I think that does kind of lead you into a, a listless or, or meaningless existence. Mm-hmm without something that you're aiming for. Right. Well, so here's a proposition that meaning itself is the way that you, it's like, it's almost a sense more than it is like a, a, a thing or an experience. It's like your sense of whether or not you are moving toward a desired goal. Hmm. And, and when you sense that you are, you experience that as meaning. Yeah. This was really meaningful. Hmm. Which I think, again, I think where religious language really helps in this, you know, it's like we're aiming towards heaven. It's like, what is heaven? It's like, well, what is you know, that question kind of, you know, are you aiming towards hell? Well, what is hell? Mm-hmm. And so you start to get these sort of like this dichotomy of heaven and hell. And you measure yourself to that sort of those two different um ends of the stick, you know, if you will, (laughs) you know, it's like where like, if you're aiming towards hell, it's sort of like this idea of, of you're making your life the worst that it could be Hmm. and everybody around you. I mean, why do you think it is that you inevitably, if you talk about things in the most abstract final of terms, why do you end up with a a dichotomy? Hmm. Like, why don't you end up with a trichotomy? Is that a word? Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. It's like either heaven or hell or purgatory. <laughs> well, purgatory is just hell in between. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's like, yeah, eternity in between. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, even <clears throat> purgatory like has that sort of like aimlessness. Yeah. And it's non-committal. Seemed, it seems like another example of the directionality of, of, of reality, mm. the directionality of your conscious 
Oh, humanhood. Well, even the religious language of like heaven, hell, and purgatory. Like purgatory is this like indecisive indecision in between space that it's not it's not really aimed at anything. It's almost like in purgatory, at some point you have to take a an aim towards something. Or you should just kind of live in this in-between space, which is not really living at all. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of what purgatory is. You're not right. really living, but you're not really dead. And I think that almost sounds like the more the most frightening option. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't we 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 don't do well mm-hmm. without a place to go. Mm. Something to do, something to <clears throat> aim toward yeah like if i say to you <clears throat> you're gonna wake up in the morning and i and you say to me what am, what am i gonna do today and i say well you're gonna do nothing so i'm just gonna lay around nope nothing hmm. i'm just gonna relax nope you're not gonna do anything you know it's like because even doing nothing is sort of an aim in and of itself. So it's like, you can't even exactly imagine what it is to have no aim. Yeah. It's almost like, like, I think I gave the example on, on the podcast sometime ago about my 10 year old daughter asking me what it's like to be blind. Hmm. Like, what do you see if you're blind? Well, if you're blind, you don't see at all. Well, what is that? How do you, how can you imagine not seeing at all? She's like, do you see black? Well, no, that would be seeing. Hmm. Don't see, you know, you, you kind of can't imagine it. Like you can't imagine a color that exists outside the, the visual spectrum mm-hmm. to be aimless is like the worst fate. Yeah. Well, I think that's something too, where, like even choosing to do nothing is still a choice. Like you're choosing not to get out of your bed. <clears throat> right. And somehow that's, that's that idea is like, I'm doing nothing. It's like, no, you chose to stay in bed. Or if you didn't choose to bed, stay in bed, you'd be out of bed. You know, it's like, there's this, it's like, we're always choosing something. And, and I think that's, I think that's the part that Victor Frankl really kind of like hits on is that, you always have a choice. Even if even if all your choices are taken from you, like it was for him in Auschwitz, you know, it's like, um, I don't know if he's in Auschwitz specifically, but uh, it's like you still have a choice on how you're going to encounter your day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you can either give up and die or or be angry about it, or you can take on that day no matter how shitty it is. It's yeah. like, but you have that choice. You have that potential to explore something of that day. And those, and then I, he always gave the example too of those who kind of gave up that choice and allowed themselves to sort of be taken away. It was like almost like they died immediately. Right. Will you give up? When you give up hope, mm. you give up aim, you give up direction. Mm-hmm. It does seem like 
it's like we all know that that is a kind of death mm-hmm. and his his experiences gave credence to that yeah you know he talks about watching people giving up and the second the day they gave up that was the day that they died mm-hmm. and other people like himself who didn't survived mm-hmm. seemingly unsurvivable experiences I mean, the things that he talks about having gone through, I mean, it seems like a miracle that he survived. Yeah. And I think it was. Totally. Yeah. I mean, even with those, even in those circumstances, there's points where you're, you know, you starve to death or whatever it might be, but he definitely, he kind of hits more on the psychological aspects of that experience, Mm -hmm. which is which is, I think is one of the most profound books that uh, you've heard us talk about it before, but it's definitely the one book I would recommend anybody to read mm-hmm. everything else. I have plenty of books you want to read, but <laughs> that's, that's my main one, one, one book. <laughs> it's definitely uh, on the required reading list. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. <clears throat> that's amazing that hope and directionality and potential and proposition mm-hmm. like it's interesting that we call marriage a proposal oh interesting and that we all know that we are more than we are and that we all move towards something constantly mm-hmm. and all of that is a story of, of hope it's almost as if it's like it's like hope is the power source that keeps the consciousness light on whether you're behaving as if it's that way or not, mm-hmm. you remove that and everything goes black. But what is it about that, that beginning stage? Cause I, I, I kind of see that somewhat as a drug almost sometimes beginning stage of what of a relationship, ah. you know, that's sort of like the potential is so undefined and like the honeymoon phase of a marriage, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, there's just like the, the potential so great. And there's something that you can kind of like, you almost get lost in that potential, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want to, you don't want to find any boundaries or barriers. Like when you start a new job, it's sort of like, Oh my gosh, the potential is huge. Mm-hmm. But then you have to start like filling out DPS reports and <laughs> whatever it might be, you know, it's like the it's reality like, is different. The reality is different. It's However, like, If you forthrightly engage that potential and aim toward it, the reality manifests around that. I mean, that's back to the act of faith. Mm-hmm. Like, because you can look at the potential and then you can look at reality mm-hmm. and say, well, those aren't the same. But if you, if you behave as if the potential is, <laughs> how would you say it, is the the conclusion is the potential, not the reality mm-hmm. that tends to reconstruct reality in the form of the potential. All right. Let me see if I got you on that one. I you kind of lost my mind. Um, I'm being so conspiritualist. <laughs> totally. Yeah. They were right about you. They weren't speaking about me. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably true. Yeah, I don't know about that. 
But I think of like like Alex Honnold or Michael Jordan, two people we like mm-hmm. to talk about a lot. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone has this experience of like climbing a mountain or a basketball game or whatever it might be that you just like you hit the, you 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 accomplish something that you never thought you would accomplish. But then all of a sudden the reality hits in is like, oh, but that's not like that every single time. And right. I have to like practice and I have to like put my attention to finding the handholds to working on my dribble to working on my footwork or whatever it might be. It's like, there's, there's some point you have to kind of shift into a different perspective, but cause you do experience these moments, like whether it be in a relationship or a first date or whatever it might be, where it's like, it's so exciting, but at some point you have to start thinking about the handholds and like, what does it look like? I need more information. I need to like, <laughs> handholds like holding hands or handholds like climbing. I'm sorry, yeah, it makes it way thinking too about the handholds. I'm practicing my handholds. <laughs> to me, metaphors. fingers interlocking, <laughs> hand over hand. Um, but there is that part. It's like you, you start have to like focusing more attention as you as you grow into something because you're going to. I mean, with anything that you learn for the first time, it's super exciting, and at some point you plateau. And you have to kind of put some work into sort of mm-hmm. growing and right. building the muscle strength or whatever it might be for, uh, again, climbing or, or yeah, basketball right. <laughs> to like, to kind of like then hit that next sort of like escalation, you know, kind of like Bitcoin too. <laughs> it's like you, you, there's a, there's a period of where things kind of plateau and you have to put some work in, in order for it to take that next stage of growth and that next stage of realization of potential you know because like i kind of think of like the uh peter pan who never wants to grow up and is always looking for the the next good time or whatever it might be or the next exciting thing well the plateaus can be very unexciting and it can be very um i don't know not um maybe even not inspiring you know but i think if you go through a few of those you start to see how inspiring those those plateaus are actually where the work actually happens to bring you into that next potential Hmm. you know whether it be like i think of it like in in learning stuff and reading it's like there's a lot of stuff i put into it writing and reading and trying to figure out things and then you sort of build this sort of like accumulation of experiences and knowledge and and conversation around these things and then all of a sudden you everything kind of coalesces into something that kind of pushes you into another another realm that you can kind of uh that you kind of ride for a while before you hit that next plateau why is it that plateaus are so uninspiring i think that's where the work is you know i think the the yeah but untapped potential is is there's an excitement around it that there's a growth aspect mm-hmm. that, that you're more willing to take so i'm thinking about this in terms of of learning an instrument yeah. because it's something i know something about and the feeling is very familiar you know you you are inspired by a song you hear where you see someone else play and you're inspired by it and you're like, I want to be able to do that. Mm. And so you start learning and you're 
improving and it feels incredible. Mm -hmm. It's addictive. And then, you know, the next day you pick up your guitar again and you try to do it and you're like, you're better than you were the day before, but you're, you're not getting any better. You're stuck. Mm. You know, like this one finger won't do the one thing or whatever. It wasn't doing that thing yesterday either, mm. but you didn't notice it because you were so thrilled by the progress you were making. And now it feels like you're not making any progress and it's so uninspiring and so defeating, which is so funny because you're better than you were. You know that, mm -hmm. you know that if you could rewind and see <clears throat> yourself play the way that you're playing today, yesterday, you'd be like, holy shit, I'm really good. Mm -hmm. You know, but in that moment, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And I think I'm suggesting that our sense of ourselves has more to do with our relative progress toward what inspires us and almost has nothing to do with our objective objective progress relative to the past. I don't know if I want to say it exactly that way, but it's like, maybe this is why, you know, so many sort of like self-help people will say, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. Mm -hmm. Because it's a hard thing to do. Because you don't really feel much meaning. You don't look at yourself yesterday and look at yourself today and think, wow, that's really meaningful. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you can muster it, you can do it. Uh, and especially if you're, um, like over a longer period of time, it, it's easier to do. Mm -hmm. So like you can look at, back at yourself. Like, let's say you decide to get in shape and you look back at yourself a year ago and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. But it's much less powerful than the feeling of feeling yourself progress towards some desired goal. Like that's, that's the drug. Mm -hmm. That's the drug that keeps the lights on. Yeah. Well, given that idea is like, like I thought about like, Oh man, it'd be so cool to like, try to like, like I'd learn a six pack or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, but sometimes like, well, I don't always want a six pack. Maybe I just like want to do it once and then be done with it. <laughs> Have it once, like for one day, <laughs> for, for one day or for like a season or something. You like just that. draw one on. Yeah. Draw one on. <laughs> yeah. I could Photoshop that for you. <laughs> awesome. That's helpful. All I need. Yeah. But there is something about that sort of, you know, oh shit, I just lost it. Well, okay. No, it's, I think like as you get older and you, and you see the different stages that you've gone through and those different plateaus and sort of exponential growth areas, it's like, there's something that it should give you, it should give us perspective as far as like what stage of life you're in or what growth period that you're in too. It's like, cause if there's something that that's very inspiring that I think older people look back at younger people that see that sort of like untapped potential, like, like you, the youth is always aware of that untapped potential where like 
older people have gone through different seasons where they've had to kind of trudge it out for a period of time, you know, and whatever it might be, maybe it's their job, maybe it's working out or, or whatever it might be. It's like, they might have a better understanding of the cycles of that, but they, but they kind of get where I think wore out by the idea of like, I think maybe that's with, with old age too. It's like, you can kind of get tired of that sort of, or maybe those cycles get longer and longer as far as like <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, the plateaus and stuff like that. You don't have as many exponential growth mm. that you do in your youth. You know I me, mean? you think of like a growth spurt in puberty or something like that where your kid goes from like four, seven to like five, eight or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like they see things and an exponential level that as you get older, it's like, obviously you're not growing taller anymore, you know, uh, at some point. And well, yeah, but I think the youth <clears throat> in youth, you aren't aware of your potential, at least not at first. That's a, what do you mean? Well, you know, you have potential. Mm-hmm but it's so ill-defined mm-hmm. that you have almost no awareness of it. Yeah. No reference point. Yeah, yeah. Right. You don't know how to define it even such to say, I have a lot of potential, mm-hmm. you know, children don't speak that way. <laughs> yeah. I think that's hard. It's almost like what parents kind of do is they, they mirror that they, they give, they give their kids sort of like open up that, what is, what could your future be? And it's like, how, how can I help you and prepare you for that future? Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult. You and I've talked about this a lot. Like, like how do you communicate that to somebody to to one of your kids, as far as like, you have so much potential ahead of you and there are certain things that right now you're preparing for that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, kind of sucky it seems like it's like it almost seems like you're always preparing for it and in some regards you are and that's part of the process it's like you're always building something today for tomorrow Mm -hmm. whether tomorrow is a year from now three years or 10 or 20 years but it's hard to grasp that when you're a a kid because you don't have as many seasons of life under your belt to kind of see how that pays off into the future Mm -hmm. and so something about how we organize our societies and our cultures to be able to facilitate that, that growth into the future, even though you don't understand it right now, this is important because it opens your future, opens more doors to your future, uh, possibilities into your future. (laughs) You know, I think of like, I mean, college has always been that, that idea culturally for us in the West, you know, it's like if you go to college then you're, your future potentials expand even more. Mm-hmm. It's like, which might be even less true today than it was when you and I were growing up. And we were probably the generation that sort of like found that that was maybe not so true. It started <laughs> to become not so true. Mm-hmm. But it's still true. <clears throat> I think of college. But. I've been thinking about the idea of potential as something that you can mine for okay. its contents. Mm-hmm. And if you mine your potential well, you're going to get a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. So you could take a a really, so like of a child, 
you could say to this child, you have all of this potential. What is it? Well, we don't know at all. Like Mm -hmm. we got to start mining it to find out. And as we start to find out, we start to give it direction. We start to give you things that you could be aiming for, Mm -hmm. but you want to equip your children with the ability to mine that potential. So you could take, well, the example of literacy as like something we just don't, we take for granted. Mm. Um, It's like, you're not going to be able to mine the potential of your future very well if you can't read and write. Mm -hmm. So you should become literate. That's going to give you the ability to engage your future, your potential. You could say, you know, it would be good if you were numerate, Mm -hmm. if you know math well, you know, and the, the, the common like retort from every child is like, you know, (laughs) when are we ever going to use sine, cosine and tangent, you know, (laughs) totally right. But it isn't about that. We're not teaching you things that you're necessarily going to be using. That's not the point. The point is that we are empowering you to mine your potential because we don't know what your potential is. Hmm. So we're going to give you all the tools we can think of so that when you go in your own way and, and set up your own creative mining operation, you've got all the tools at your disposal to do the most that you can with it. Mm-hmm. Are you going to use all those tools? No. You know, especially not at first, yeah. you know, but then 10 years down the road, you might be like, Oh, right. There's that one really specific pickaxe that, you know, I've, I hadn't needed to use for 10 years, mm-hmm. but gosh, I'm glad I've got it Yeah, because I knew to look for it mm-hmm. because I had to do, you know, <laughs> I had to learn calculus and, sophomore year. Yeah. And I complained about it the whole time. Um, you know, it reminds me, C.S. Lewis said something about how, uh, school children will complain about having to learn their grammar because they have no idea the pleasure that they will experience reading the great works of literature. Hmm. It's like, your, your potential is so great that you are so divorced from it that you can't, you don't even know how to imagine how good it could be. Mm. So you've got to do all of these, like, hopefully if you have people in your life that are older, that see more and know more to force you to do the things that make no sense to you, that seem completely stupid because you literally don't have the imagination to see it, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then you learn it and then you read and you're like, holy shit, that was... It was transcendent. Mm -hmm. And the only reason you had the ability to experience the transcendence is because you learned phonics, you know, when you were like hopefully five and six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so hard because it does seem almost forced upon like that's, that's how it's, that's how it's perceived or felt. Like I like my kids in this school that are reading, they're reading Plato and Aristotle and I didn't, and a lot of these other philosophers that I didn't read till I was in college. <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, they're dead old white people or whatever, however you want to say it. It's like, but the thing is, is like the ideas that they were thinking about and working through. Like, I remember whenever I came across like uh, Aristotle and Aquinas, they talked about potential and actuality. Like, that was something that I wrote a paper on in college, you know, how Aristotle and and uh, Aquinas, who were like maybe, I don't know, was that 1,200 years 
I don't know, something like that apart. And the difference between how they use the ideas of potential and, uh, um, uh, oh shit, I just forgot it. Uh, potential and actual, you know, so there's something like you, you have this like potential past part of it and then you actualize it. And that's like, there's something that is, was just so profound to me. And like to see that, like, in myself too, is sort of like, I have this potential, but there's difference between having the potential and then actualizing it, mm-hmm. like bringing it into existence, into life. And, and that was like such a mind blowing experience for me to see that and understand that, you yeah. know, in a, in whatever simple way that I, I was able to grasp that, you know, it's like, Oh wow, there's this potential of my future, but then how do I actualize that? How do I make it happen? Like, how does it like, activate you yeah. know into the world release release into yeah. the world mm-hmm. it's like a battery is potential electricity mm-hmm. but not until you connect the nodes and plug it into a system yeah and it's actualized into something a car moving or productive or, yeah. yeah or motion yeah or like i think about a crossbow mm-hmm. it's like you pull that that um what do you call the line? I don't know. <laughs> oh, what is the word on a bow and arrow? Mm-hmm. Cut the bow. And I got gotcha. you. The, the string. It's not a string. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But as archers but, hit us up. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, potential. You, you pull it back and you lock it on a crossbow and it's in a mm-hmm. state of potential mm-hmm. and that's kind of worthless unless you actualize it mm-hmm. you release that. And then even that's worthless unless you choose where to aim it mm-hmm. and you use that potential and actualize it for productive purposes. Yeah. You know, you could fire it straight into the ground or straight up into the air and you haven't done much. Mm-mm. Or you've done a lot in that you like are wild. Like, Oh my gosh, look at that. That there was power released. What if I aimed it at something? Right. You know, right. I think there's a lot of that. I think, you know, just in all of our conversations over the years, it's like, I feel like we've seen that like, Oh my gosh, wait, what if we actually focus that towards something? I mean, you and I financially this year, we've 2021 has been like, uh, interesting with uh, stock market and Bitcoin and crypto in general. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh wow. We have this potential, whether it's a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, if we put it into some place that make it work, it actually has potential to do five X or 10 X more than what mm-hmm. we had before, but we didn't know that before. And, and right. even though you and I kind of were like firing all over the place and like, you know, maybe made some bad, <laughs> bad investments in that. But it's like, definitely made some as, bad investments. Yeah, totally. I was trying to give us a little more credit than that. <laughs> but as we were doing it more, it's like we were learning and every time we did something weird or wrong with it, it was like, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, now I understand that, you know? And so it's like, we're able to aim that potential and actualize it in a, w- in a way that we have better understanding and maybe aimed at something that has more potential. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, or after we read Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was the same, yeah. same idea. But. Well, I even think about this podcast and the reason we started this podcast, mm-hmm. which was that... <clears throat> we were having these conversations and it became like, we would feel this potential, mm-hmm. this buildup of energy that was releasing in some creative way yeah. that was, that was producing something mm-hmm. that had meaning to you and I. Yeah. And it was more than, 
you know, it's almost like, it's like the same sort of creative inspiration, which is how I described having a crush earlier. Mm -hmm. You have a crush. It's like you're creatively inspired toward a person, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think our conversations over the years started to take on that sort of thing. And, and what is it? Well, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but it seems like we should do something with it. Yeah. It's like, I found something that seems powerful and I feel like we should do something with it. Mm -hmm. Like it's not doing any good, just laying around, you know, Uh what, what do we do with this thing? I don't know. We could start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. Let's do that. That's what dudes do. You know? So, so we start it and you don't know what it is still. Mm -hmm. It's like you start dating someone. You don't know what it is. Yeah. How long is it going to last? I don't know another reason to celebrate a hundred episodes like you and I, I, I don't think either of us would be very, would have been very surprised if we, this didn't make it to a hundred episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we would be surprised cause you and I are, are fairly stubborn when it comes to accomplishing <laughs> yeah, totally. stated goals. But uh-huh. <clears throat> there were definitely times when we were like, what either one of us, you know, on, on any given Wednesday night could have just been like, I don't think we should do it tonight. Yeah. And the other one would have probably felt relieved, mm-hmm. you know, but I guess back to our stubbornness <laughs> and neither of us are going to back down. And so we kept doing it and, and this it's, it's been something, we still don't know what it is, but it's been yeah. good, it, you know, at least for us. And for those of you out there who have, who it's meant something to, well, it's also like you and I, what we have also gleaned and gathered from so many different podcasts. Like if, you know, if there's something that we could put out there to somebody who's just exploring some of these thoughts or ideas, or, or maybe it's more seasoned in this area. It's like, maybe we could point out something that, that someone didn't know or share something that we have experienced that will inspire somebody else or even turning something on to, some of the people that we listen to and, and that we were inspired by, you yeah. know, it's like, I think that's something that's motivating to us too. Is like, it's like you and I are on a journey to, to kind of like learn and understand and see and uh, explore this world that we're in. Mm-hmm. And it uh, weren't with truthful and honest people. And it's like, that's something that you and I seek out as far as like the people we listen to and, and the books we read and we've always enjoyed whenever somebody shares that with us. Mm-hmm. And so if we can share that with other people, I think that's something that you and I like, it's like, whether it be a hundred people that listen to our podcast or 10,000 or a million, <laughs> it's more like a million, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it would be, it, I think that's something that you and I would also enjoy doing. And I think that's why you, we'd also like to hear more from you guys as far as like what you are getting out of this. And, um, Cause it's inspiring for us to, to think about new things. And I think there's some cool things for us in 2022 that we're going to kind of try to, to kind of activate in that area too. But even just that had more, uh, more meaning to it. That word activate <laughs> uh-huh. going to actualize, <clears throat> actualize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I want to encourage you and me and anyone listening that when you feel that creative inspiration, um, respond to it, Mm -hmm. whether that's with a, 
a crush or an idea or a friend. And it's going to seem to you at times like it's not working. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, you don't have any idea what it's doing. Yeah. Your job is to respond to the creative inspiration when you feel it. And it's one thing, you know, when it's obvious that you should stop, even though you feel like you still feel that mm-hmm. and you've got to be aware of that. And it's another thing too, if you stop feeling it. Um, but I think like, for example, with our podcast, we, we kept feeling it. We keep feeling it. Mm-hmm. When we finish, we feel good about it. When it's coming up, we feel like a healthy amount of nervousness, but a healthy amount of excitement, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I spent a long enough time, writing and recording music and playing shows and, and sort of wondering whether or not that was working. Mm-hmm. And I, so back to the original question at the beginning of the episode, like how do you define success? Is it likes, is it followers? Is it revenue? Is it that you simply keep doing it? You know, mm-hmm. you don't know. And I think you often naively set up definitions for success and probably don't even say them out loud. You know, so, so you start a podcast. Well, let's use a different example. You, you write a song and you record it, you put it out. You're like, well, I don't know what success would be, but it would definitely be awesome if like, you know, it got on the radio and it got reviewed in Rolling Stone and, you know, had like a million plays on Spotify or something like that. And then you put it out and none of those things happen. Mm-hmm. Even more than that, two years later, one of your best friends texts you and says, I just heard this. I didn't even know that this existed. Hmm. <laughs> uh, real life story. Oh yeah. He's probably listening. <laughs> Love you. Um, so you think to yourself, wow, I'm a, I'm a complete failure by like every definition that I can think of, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been in that mindset before. And then I've, so I'll tell this brief story. I, I put out a record in like 2012. Um, I was really excited about it and I put it out and by all of those sort of metrics, like, you know, unfortunately Rolling Stone wasn't contacting me, you know, and (laughs) like, um, the numbers and the streams and all of that just seemed, seemed like nobody cared. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And then one day I was walking down the street and I heard my name called and I turned around. Somebody came up to me, somebody I didn't know. And they said, Hey, we hadn't met. We have some mutual friends. I've been listening to your record. I just wanted to let you know that my wife and I uh, had a miscarriage recently and it was really, really hard. And this one particular song of yours from that record made a world of difference to us. And I was so stunned because I was kind of walking around feeling like this failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just said, thank you. And I said, thank you. And and he walked away and I thought, God, I'm such a fool. Mm. Like you have no idea what is happening when you, when you, when you find some creatively inspired power and you actualize it in some direction. Yeah. Like you don't know what's happening with that. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways you do. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're told, sometimes you see it, but 
things are happening as a result of your creative inspiration that aren't being said to you. Mm-hmm. And like humble yourself to that and continue to respond because you are making a difference in people's lives. And it doesn't have to be music. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be just simply the way that you engage those around you going about your sort of mundane life that we all have, like going to the grocery store and going to the coffee shop and, you know, like, or your laugh. Like, again, I think, you know, uh, one of my managers at Springdale, like he has this laugh that's just like so great. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't even know if he knows like how much like I've gotten, I mean, I've told him about these things. It's like people that just like talk about him and his laugh. Like he just makes people feel good. And it's like, you don't know the impact that you have on people. Like the, the stories you're talking about with your music, it's like with, with Medici, it's like people that will tell me years later, like how much that space meant to them yeah. during a period of time of their right. life. And it's like, you don't hear about those things, but there's something about like, I think you have to almost have, again, come back to your idea of faith. It's like, if I act creatively into the world and activate that potential, that it will have an impact on the, on the world in ways that I will not hear or even mm-hmm. understand. I believe that you will get glimpses of it, but you, but it's more of a faith type of, it is. Yeah. Type of engagement. In the yeah. World. It's like, how do you, to use your example of your shop and those spaces mm-hmm. that have had, like of all of the people who have fallen in love or gotten mm-hmm. engaged or gone through a breakup or mm-hmm. like, you know, studied for an exam or like the, the ways that that space has impacted people, you, well, it, you probably wouldn't even be able to stand Mm. sitting down and hearing all of it. It would be too much. Mm -hmm. And yet you hear almost none of it. Yeah. And so it would be easy to show up in the morning, you know, at 5 AM, whether it's you or one of your baristas or whatever, and just think this doesn't really matter, Mm. you know? Um, so, so, but if you're aware of that, if you're aware of this, the fact that as you just put it really well, like you, you're, you're creatively engaging the world in a way that matters in ways that you won't see. Mm -hmm. And that is faith. And you show up in the morning and you say with intention, I want this space to be a place where these, where people live their lives in a way that is good. Mm -hmm. And then you orient yourself toward the space in that way. Yeah. And it happens, but you don't know about it. Well, I think that's where it becomes even more powerful is when you acknowledge, I will not understand the impact of my actions. Right. And I think that's, I think that's something that you have to accept in that. I mean, it's obviously we all want validation and people to tell us and to communicate to us, like how we impact somebody, you know, it's like, you know, I think of my birthday, like, you know, you kind of like told me a bunch of stuff and I was just like, thank you. Thank you for speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the way you say that. Like it was a bunch of stuff. It was a stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I I always underplay things that impact me because like, (laughs) right. (laughs) But it's like, it's, but it's, it's just, it's important. Because you feel 
let's, let's, let's unpack that just a little bit okay. because <laughs> I think we all do to some degree, you know, somebody, somebody honors you, somebody compliments you in a way that's truly touching. Mm. It, it inspires some amount of like shame. Hmm. Like you want to underplay it. You want to hide from it in some sense. Cause you also know that you're not that cause you're not that, but you are, but you are, yeah. you know, both of the things totally. uh-huh. and, and you feel completely exposed as being both, both. of the things mm-hmm. in the light of that honest mm-hmm. honor. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like, I think it's something we, we used to try to teach like how to accept a compliment, oh, interesting. you know, mm-hmm. or what to do when you're given a gift. Mm-hmm. Like these sort of etiquette things. Yeah. And that's the thing is like they are, they, they felt like etiquette. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you think of it like etiquette, you're missing the deeper underlying thing that we just described, which mm-hmm. is that you don't accept a compliment well. You don't teach someone to accept a compliment well for the person who gives the compliment like it's not for their good. Mm-hmm. It's for you. It's important that you learn to accept a compliment well. Yeah. Because a compliment is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it would be far too easy for you just to deflect it and ignore it. Because it comes with a bit of pain and it comes with a bit of shame. So accept it well. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I see it on two different fronts. It's like, if you accept a compliment too readily, it's like, it does have to have, it almost almost, I think that's a part of it. It has to carry that paradox with it. I both am and, and not that thing. Right. And I think that is this, that's the place that, and I think we usually err on one side or the other. That is like, one is like, somebody might think is like, I'm not that thing. You know, a person's like, I am all of that and more, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, but I think there's something in that. It's like to be in that space of like, wow, thank you. It's like, <laughs> I know I'm not all that, but I'm also, but I do see it and acknowledge that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's like, even in our understanding of what a compliment is, like if I look at you and I say, Hey, Michael, you're a man. No, let's do, let's let's do that differently. Hey, Michael, you're a male. It's like, <laughs> and you know what? You have brown hair. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, like that's uh, not a compliment yeah. because it it is it doesn't touch into the you are and you aren't. It's like uh-huh. yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but if I say something, you know, different to you, like I oh, freeze up right now already. You're, <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to compliment Don't call you. Don't me. <laughs> but if I say something to you which reveals to you the fact that I see your potential, mm-hmm. that's when you're going to freeze up. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm showing you something which you clearly are and you know that you are, mm-hmm. but you're clearly not and you know that you're not. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Yeah. And that's what you teach people. Say just thank you. Just thank you. Yeah. Like, thank you. I accept. Mm-hmm. I accept the the proposition you're making about me. Mm-hmm. I accept that you believe that, and I'm going to try to believe it myself. Something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's the same idea of a blessing too. It's like when someone blesses you, it's like, it's like the worst thing you can do. When I, when I say someone blesses you, it's like, you know, they, they speak truth into you, to who you are and also to who your future self is. And there's something about accepting that, that almost like propels you into that future self. You know, whenever, you know, when someone sees something that, wow, you're really amazing. Like Matt's an amazing musician. You know, it's like, it's like for him to say, thank you. It's like, it not only compliments Matt right now, but Matt into the future. Mm. And that's, I think that's something that pushes us into that future self of what we could be. You know, Matt and I have been doing this exercise where you, uh, where you have a kind of a conversation with yourself, like his is a, a, a triangle, mine's an X. <laughs> and you got to go back and forth. And it's really interesting is like... For the, those who haven't yeah, heard so. us talk about this before, you, you sit down and write a dialogue between two people. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one, one of the characters is you, and the other character is not you. Mm-hmm. But you're going to write a conversation between you and not you. Mm-hmm. And then the not you is best denoted on the page by a symbol. And I've been using a triangle and you've been using an X. Yours is, you, you call it Mr. X. Mr. X. <laughs> which is, which is good. That's hilarious. That's true. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Cause I, I don't, I'm not Mr. Triangle. <laughs> I'm just symbol, triangle, whatever. Uh, yeah. So continue. That's funny. I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> uh. Yeah, but there's something about that. Like it's 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 like having a conversation with yourself that you can kind of like. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost like a third person or or God perspective. I think it's third person. Uh, this om this omniscient sort of viewpoint. I think that's also the kind of idea behind the character that you have a conversation with is that it kind of gives you like they're, they're seeing the whole you, not just the successful you and not just the failure you. And, and usually like people kind of tend towards one or the other to see themselves more in a positive or negative light kind of thing. But, but right. someone who sees and can hold both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And usually there's kind of compassion in that voice because they do understand what you are and what you are not. Cause it's your voice. Mm-hmm. And so while you know that you both are and are not a visionary, you can have a conversation with the part of you that knows that you are. Mm-hmm. And you can play the part of knowing that you're not, mm-hmm. but converse, converse with the part of you that knows that you are. Again, it's this like, it's this di- dichotomy thing. And this directionality. Mm-hmm. Well, I also, do, uh, I think it would depend on the person too. Like if you have someone who thinks they're all that <laughs> and more, you know, it's like, it might be more of a negative voice. Right. Like, like totally. Hey, like, Hey, come back down, you know? But then if you're somebody who's more negative, it's like you're, you're, yeah, you, I'm, sorry. I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying, I'm thinking about characters who embody that. Mm-hmm. Like, in Disney movies for some reason. It's like the Gaston. Gaston oh my God. I was going there too. Like I, Emerson was watching that today. The beauty and the boost Gaston Gaston. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. You know, if he were to do the writing exercise, which that would be like a whole, like uh, <laughs> a whole nother thing to do, like write a conversation between Gaston and Gaston. 
totally. Or Gaston's symbol, you know. Uh, but it's like, it would probably be something of the reverse. Like, he'd say, you know. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm beautiful. And then his, his other self, who knows that he's also not, mm-hmm. would have to say, you know, yeah, but you're also, you know, vain mm-hmm. and arrogant. Well, I think that's hard for for us to hear too is like when we are in that space i think that's why i think it's why it's so important for us to live in the paradox you know and and also you see that symbol of the yin and the yang you know it's like we have to have that push and pull of like chaos and order and if if we if we're too often one direction or the other i think that other voice is becomes more and more important almost like mm-hmm. and, and it will become louder and louder if you don't pay attention to it like if you're too much in order, like that chaotic voice will will speak louder and louder. If you're in chaos, the order will speak louder and louder. And it's like, and usually like people, I, I believe anyways, will pendulum swing back and forth. But it's really about the tension between the two that mm-hmm. is really the place to be as far as like where that voice is like, yes, you are amazing. And yes, you have a lot to grow. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in order to be in that place to listen to that voice in a healthy, to be healthy is, is that is to acknowledge is to acknowledge both like what you, who you are and who you are not. Yeah. And it can be both disappointing and also exhilarating. Well, it reminds me of another thing that Frankel said when he was Mm -hmm. talking about some, I think he says, uh, tells a story about, somebody suggesting to him that mental health was the absence of tension Hmm. something like that. And and he said, he said that he actually believes that mental health is dependent on Mm. tension, dependent on the tension between who you are and who you could be. Yeah. And if that is laid out properly and you are in tension between those two things, Mm in the right kind of tension, then you will be like back to potential and actual, mm-hmm. you'll be actualizing the potential of that tension of mm. the, the energy in that tension to become who you are. Mm-hmm. And that, that pro that process of becoming generates, well, you, you feel it through a sense of meaning and that generates and promotes mental health. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how you can get a, get around that. That that that's something that just seems so. Like there's a certitude behind that. That is, you you can't you can't get around. Is that yeah. sort of balance and that paradox between who you are and who you are to be mm-hmm. in the future. When I liked something you said earlier about how, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. And I thought I wanted to comment in the, at, at the, in the moment, like that's why we're all God-like. Hmm. We're not gods. Yeah. We all have the ability to do godly things, mm-hmm. but not all the time. Yeah. One of my favorite Ted talks is the author, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote eat, pray, love. Hmm. Um, I think the title of the talk is your elusive creative genius. Oh yeah. (laughs) Have you seen that one? Yeah. 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 It's so good. Um, but she talks about how, you know, an artist, she gives the example of a dancer 
you know, works and works and works and works their whole life to like train themselves. And then one day they go give a performance, they give a dance and it's like transcendent Mm -hmm. and they feel it and everyone in the audience sees it. And I think she says that, uh, I don't, I I guess maybe Spanish culture or something, the crowd will say ole, which I think she says means there it is God. Yeah. Like you have become a God. Mm. And then she makes the point. But the problem is like the next day the dancer's knees are shot and feet hurt and he can't do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Yeah. It's like, we have the potential of gods, but, but what? But we're human. But we're humans. And that's what, well, that's what makes being a human so unique. Hmm. When you said that, I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about the, uh, the dancer and Sia's songs. Mm -hmm. Fucking amazing. That young girl. I can't, it's like, I, I just, I, even just now I want to go back and watch those because she says things with her body and her expressions that are phenomenal. You know, and then to be able to, I think there's something about that too, that I think that's one reason why you should never give up on your craft, whatever it might be. You might be 50 or 60 or 70 years old before maybe some of these things happen. But, but I think there's something about if you don't give up on your craft, whatever it might be, whether it be just making people happy or like, uh, I think of the guy at Wendy's, I've, I've probably mentioned him a few times, but this guy took, he was a manager, but he took orders and like the way he take orders was just amazing at Wendy's at UT. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's been at UT and gone to Wendy's knows exactly who this guy is, mm-hmm. but he'd be like, what's up? What's next? Okay, cool. I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. Like everything was like, his hands were moving and like, he was so excited about what you were going to order. And it was like a cheeseburger like he was making that cheeseburger exciting you know it's like it's like it was it this was, isn't just a cheeseburger this is a cheeseburger for you exactly no exactly that's i mean but nobody who's ever been to wendy's on the ut campus does not know who i'm talking about yeah like that's the impact that this guy had and so hmm. i think there's something about that that if you give yourself to that potential of what you could create in whatever situation it might be, it's like, there's something memorable that you will make a mark on people. Like who knows what is this guy? Again, since, uh, you know, COVID, I have no idea where he's at or any of that kind of stuff, you know, but like, you know, it's like the impact he's had on people. Like Mm -hmm. I think about him once a year, at least, (laughs) you know, and he's just, he's just the Wendy's guy, you know, but he's not just the Wednesday, Wendy's guy. But there's so many people like that, that if you, you know, I, I can think of so many baristas that have come through our doors that, you know, my customers still talk about, you know, the impact that you have on somebody mm-hmm. can last way beyond you even being wherever you are, you know, <laughs> which is fascinating. Right. What, what are you laughing at? Well, it's like <laughs> everyone has those moments from like middle school that will jump you in the shower. <laughs> You know, you're not even like your mind in your own business or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, 
God, Lindsay said that one thing to me or, or like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, people have an effect on you mm-hmm. and combine that with the, with the image earlier of like preparing your space in faith mm. that things will happen that you won't know anything about, mm. but that that's good. Yeah. And if you were to go through your life with that sort of faith in everything that you do, yeah, like you have, well, that's a, that's like godlike power mm. that you have. Like you were leaving this trail of influence and effect. Yeah. This trail of power every, yeah. everywhere you go, whether you're intentional about it or not. Mm-hmm. And if you are intentional about it, well, it's like, it's like finding the device, the, the powerful device. And you're like, oh shit, we should probably do something with this. <laughs> you know, cause if you just leave it there, mm-hmm. it could be picked up and used for terrible things or, um, or just wasted, mm-hmm. you know? Your life is that yeah. your whole life, every day, every moment is that this potentially wonderful, potentially terrible source of power yeah. that you should do something with. Well, you think about all the people in your past that have like left those nuggets with you that they might even not know that, that you still carry those with you. Right. You know, I think of like uh, this guy, uh, uh, Jim, you know, you know, he was, he was, one thing he shared with me earlier on in business was like, you know, you're not Medici, you know, it's like, it's an expression of you. And that has like, that has carried me through all, you know, 15 years of Medici. It's like Medici is an expression of me. It's not of Allison and I, but just speaking for you specifically, it's like, that's not who I am. And so it's allowed me to kind of like have a detachment from it yet still invest in it. You know, it's like as an expression of who we are, um, you know, also like, you know, the, you know, the two biggest investments you'll make in your, in your life is your wife and your kids. And I think that's, that's something that has stuck with me also, you know, it's like, yeah. It's and like, these people are out there living their lives. Yeah. No idea. No idea that you're thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could go on with tons of those types, even, even negative examples. Like I've, I've, I remember a few people that were, you know, talking about helping me out through certain situations and they didn't, but at the same time, it's like, now I understand why it wasn't that they didn't is that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the best thing that could have happened to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if, if I, was always expecting other people to get me out of situations. Then I wouldn't have learned the lessons that I did learn through that. Hmm. And then on the other side of that too, is like there's other people that have helped me out through situations that I'm so thankful for. And, and thank you for doing, you know, thank you for doing that, you know? So it's, it's interesting how even the disappointments ended up being positives because it taught me something. And the ones that were, positives that were like actually did help me get, get me out of certain things. It's like, it was really helpful. And I'm so thankful for that too. So I, I think there's, there's a certain, again, I, there's a certain religious language around this that I'm not really happy about, but it's like, it's sort of like, you know, it's a blessing in disguise, you know? <laughs> and, but I think there's an aspect of that. That's actually true. It's like sometimes the negative things that happen to you are actually a blessing in disguise. And, 
Well, there's something about, well, blessings as such, which, ha- like, almost have to be disguised. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, well, because if you were just like, I want a million dollars, and then you get a million dollars, you wouldn't really be like, a blessing. Mm. You know, like a blessing is something that's somewhat unexpected. True. Or even if it's expected, it's more than you knew to ask for. That's what makes it a blessing. Yeah. And I think about that in terms of, um, well, grace actually. Hmm. And I think we maybe touched on this before, but maybe it's worth revisiting. Like, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a single person as I am, you might say, I'd like, I'd like a wife. And so you could say to me, well, okay, tell me, what do you want in a wife? And I could like, you know, write down a list of things. Mm -hmm. And then if a woman showed up that like met all that criteria, I'd be a little disappointed, you know, and like ungrateful, obviously, (laughs) like you asked for something, you got exactly that, but you all, you know, Uh that that's not what's exciting about a relationship. Mm-hmm. What's exciting about a relationship is like, I asked for something and then what showed up was slightly different, but better than I even knew to ask for. Mm-hmm. And that's grace. Or even things that were problematic that actually were good. Yes. <laughs> right. Things that I wouldn't have put on the list, but uh, I'm like, actually, yeah, I'm enriched by it uh, totally. because it's like back to your formulation. If it's like, I am and I am not, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm a fool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not a fool in many ways, but I'm a fool in a lot of ways I don't know. And I need to be shown them. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So who, who wrote the book surprised by grace? Uh, maybe C.S. Lewis. Kind of sounds right. Yeah. But I think it's the same of blessings. You don't, that's the thing is you don't know what to ask for. Mm-hmm. And, it is grace that gives you what you don't know what to ask for. Well, I think the whole idea behind prayer in general is that it starts to unlock that aspect. It's like you start asking and speaking into existence or into the world these things that are inside you. It's like you don't know what's inside you. And so prayer is something is to get something externalized into the world that then you will, that they kind of manifest itself in a way that you don't know or don't understand. But it doesn't come through. If it, if it stays internalized, you'll never discover what, what that is. I think that's where prayer comes in is that it kind of like brings it into existence in a way that you start to work with and deal with. And to be able to acknowledge and maybe even see, like once you start expressing your deepest desires and wants, then it makes you aware to be, to be aware of those things too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even C.S. Lewis talks about this. It's like prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes you. And I think that's been one of the most profound things to me about the idea of prayer is like, it's not about changing God's mind. It's about changing ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like you start speaking the things that are inside you, inside your heart and mind. And it's like, when you speak that into the world, you have to start dealing with it. Hmm. 
I mean, even even when we're talking right. about say it out loud, then you have to deal with it. Yeah, if you don't our, say it out loud, you don't ever have to deal with <laughs> you it. You have to deal with it. Well, yeah. even our conversation with like Mixer X and the and the triangle. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you speak it out loud, you start have to deal with it. Yeah, but it's like oh shit, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. How do I feel about that? Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. You, know, you might be like, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> Let's erase that. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, you can be surprised by it. That's another like incredible feature of being human is like, you can say things that surprise you. Yeah. And how is that possible? Mm-hmm. How can you say, it's like, you said it. Yeah. You know, how, how are you surprised? Yeah. Because it came out of you. Because it came out of you. Mm-hmm. But you are. It's so fucking crazy. Like. Like we know who we are, but you also don't know who we are. Right. Like I know Matt, I don't know you. And it's like, <laughs> I know Allison, I don't know her. And it's like, it's like that's that place. It's like, it's, you just, you just can't escape that, that aspect of that. When it's almost like life is worth living because of that. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't that way, like if you knew yourself fully and completely, mm-hmm. or let's say you knew your wife fully and completely. It's like, then what? Yeah. Everything is expected. You would die of boredom. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder how much of it comes with age because like, even like, you know, you think about our kids, you know, there's like, you know, they lash out at you. You're sort of like this safe figure that they can kind of like, bump up against, you know? And at the same time, we're trying to also reflect to them. It's like, Hey, you don't know who you are, but he also here is who you are. Mm-hmm. And so there's this part that you're trying to like give them. It's like, no, this is messy. Yes. You're angry. But also it's like, it, again, it might be because of, because of me or whatever, you know, it's like, but but there's more to it than just you're angry at me. You know, it's like, it's like you're wanting them to discover some sort of potential about themselves, but you also see them limiting themselves by this perspective that they have about who they are. And you're like, no, you're more than who you think you are. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's, you can't tell that to somebody. It's like you can't say, hey, no, no, excuse me. You're more than who you think you are. Like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> I totally didn't know that. Phew. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, and it's, it's hard. I think teenagers uh, specifically exemplify this. And even as adults, I think we, we, we also tend towards this. But I think teenagers just generally <laughs> express this. You know, it's like... It's like, you're more than who you think you are. And I'm wanting to call that into existence. Hmm. And I'm really trying hard to be okay with, you know, (laughs) (laughs) with where you are right now. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out how to segue into something that I've been thinking a lot about since watching Spider-Man No Way From Home. Just jump. No Way, No Way Home? No Way Home which you haven't seen yet. And I don't want to spoil for you. Just spoil. I'm okay. I, I really don't want to. It was okay. really a profound experience. Okay. Um, but I walked out of that movie. I mean, it really affected me profoundly. Hmm. Um, I walked out of that movie thinking there are some truths 
which can only be acted out. Oh, I see. Yeah. And I think that's similar to what you're talking about when we're dealing with children is Mm. you can't simply tell them, Mm -hmm. you know, and you could say, you know, it falls on deaf ears Mm -hmm. or you could say something like that. But that's true of all of us. Mm -hmm. You, You can't simply be told because articulation while on one hand, a superpower to be able to abstract and to communicate deeply and beautifully and eloquently is limited. Mm-hmm. And I, which sounds like, you know, maybe a, um, like an esoteric point or something. But I think the reason it affected me so much watching Spider-Man is like I watched that movie. It's like I was deeply moved by this movie. And what is up with that? Like, here I am. I'll be 40 soon. Here we are as humanity. You know, we are advanced beyond the wildest dreams of, like, even the previous generation. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're still telling stories. Yeah. We're still making movies, writing books, painting paintings, singing songs. Why is that? Because... There are truths that can only be acted out. They cannot be articulated. Hmm. You can try and you can get part of the way. But when you act it out, you learn something. Yeah. You learn something that you can't learn by being told. Hmm. And it's much more obvious when you're dealing with children, mm-hmm. but it's still true. So it's like universally true regardless of age. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even I think like in business specifically, it's like it the part of acting out the things in business has, has taught me more than anything that anybody could tell me. Yeah. Although I think I do find that as I get older, I listen better <laughs> to those who have come before me. Oh, there was something I when you talked about business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Robert Breedlove. I was listening to him interview Eric Weinstein. Uh, Weinstein. That's it. Uh, and, and Robert Breedlove said something like, uh, "In in theory, theory and practice are the same thing. In practice, theory and practice are not the same thing." Oh, interesting. It's like when you go to act it out, when you go to do the business. <laughs> I do business. <laughs> you know. You can sit in your office and run spreadsheets and make hypotheses and <laughs> theories all day long, you know, and make that whole shit airtight. Yeah. And then you go run the program and it's like something else happens. Yeah, totally. You know? <laughs> so in practice, theory and practice are not the same thing. Whereas theory thinks yeah. theory and practice are the same thing. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Oh, how do you want to end up the the hundred uh, hundred year episode? Hundredth, hundredth, hundredth. Um, how do we want to end this one? I would just want to recapitulate this idea that, like. 
you are fueled by hope and more powerful than you understand. And so take that seriously and be humbled by that, rightly humbled by that. And when someone gives you a compliment, it's like, be humbled by that. Don't deflect that. And say thank you. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and live your life in faith. I mean, that's the proper position to take if you agree that those previous statements are true. Live your life in faith that that is true and you will affect the world in ways that honestly the world needs. Like we need that. We need you. And I think that the conclusion of that is that you will experience grace and blessings that you don't know to ask for. Hmm. And, you know, if that all sounds amorphous and like spiritualist, conspiritualist <laughs> religious, whatever. It's like, yeah, it is. Mm. But consider it. I think it's a great point that you can't, you need to, to embrace the symbolic. Like there's no way, there's no way around engaging the world and potential without embracing the symbolic. And a lot of that comes through religious language. And I would say that it's because there is something there, like there is something that's meaningful in the world. Um, again, I, I, I like to keep it vague in that sense because of it's, it's just so important that we do keep ourselves open to the symbolic and that sort of religious language because it is so, so much more... Um, obtuse not it's not as definitive and i think it's important that we have that sort of language that kind of keeps that openness to yeah. uh what is the potential because if, if things become too ordered and too too exacting then i think there's something that dies with mm -hmm. us and within us mm -hmm. it's like so i know i like i like i liked how you uh, how you said that with faith and and just that sort of hope yeah. that we have to that we have to have and it's as necessary for us to move into the future. Yeah. So and I'm excited about that. I am too. The future is a good place to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the only place to be. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I agree. Um well, cheers. Yeah. To 100. To 100. <laughs> yes. To whoever out there is still listening to this, thank you for listening. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Honestly, we love you. Yeah. Even if we don't know you. Mm hmm Yeah. Okay. Cool. We'll see you guys. Bye. Love you.